as far as whiskey talk goes, I'm only going to claim to be like 90% correct on things. <laughs> Mark Graven and Jamie Flinchball are two guys drinking whiskey while chatting about lean ideas, experiences, and news. Let's hope they hold their liquor because they're not holding back on sharing their opinions. It's time for Lean Whiskey, Lean Talk with a Fun Spirit. That's a good start. So I guess we're going. We're not doing the live broadcast this time. But it's Mark Raven and Jamie Flinchbaugh back. We're going to do video today. It's also going to be an audio podcast. It's episode 16 of Lean Whiskey. It's good to see you, Jamie. Great to see you. And you're, uh, you're in a new, you're, I'm used to seeing you in one of two locations, and now you're in a new location. Yeah, like why is there a third location? So I'm in Southern California now, like... <laughs> During a pandemic, why, why not relocate? But my wife um, had been talking to a company since January and had a really, really good opportunity. She's now um, chief operating officer of an aerospace company that is based here in LA. So goodbye, Orlando. Hello, LA. So this is our temporary furnished apartment. I've been accused of this looking like a artificial Zoom background, but yeah, I could I could see that argument, but uh, um, you know it hasn't been terribly lived in yet. So um, that's I think one of the requirements. Um, so you know, especially you know springtime, moving from Orlando to California probably isn't as dramatic as going from say Texas to Wisconsin. Um, so I'm sure there's you know some things that are the same, but you know you that, that's a, that's a long trip. A long, uh, it was a long change uh, to go through, especially during a pandemic. So, you know, I've been out four times in nine weeks. So, yeah. uh, you know, I have very little experience with what life is like on the outside. Yeah. Um, so you got a whole dose of that. So share yeah. about you know what you what you learn and experience on your your coast to coast drive. Yeah, I mean, it was an hour short of the East Coast and about 15, 10 minutes short of the West Coast. So almost coast to coast, 2,500 miles. We drove two days from Orlando to the Dallas area and we were at um, our house there and uh, my in-laws live with us and we had three days there. And then we had three days to LA. So we stayed in three different hotels along the way in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, El Paso, Texas, and Phoenix. And it was interesting to see the difference, three different sub-brands within the Marriott family of hotels. Two of them, like they were all, they were all trying to do something that was different. You know, there were plexiglass panels at the front desk. Um, They were trying to do some things for the employees there. The residents in had a giant tub uh, hand sanitizer with the big pump bottle. Um, we, you know, we would check into the hotels and, you know, frankly, we figured better safe than sorry. Um, we brought Lysol spray and paper towels, mm-hmm. sprayed down every hard surface we thought we might interact with in the hotel. The hotels all now say they're, they're, they're ramping up or they're getting to different cleanliness standards, but 
you know, I figured a little bit of spray was worth it. The remote control went in a Ziploc bag, which I've, I've got friends who've done that for years. Just yeah, I, I, that's a, that's a, a one I haven't done yet, but um, you know, based on some of the studies, I can I can certainly see why it works. Um, you know, the hotel in Phoenix. Strangely enough, like my wife had booked the reservation and she went in to her, her app to try to find, you know, when's the mobile key going to be ready? Mm-hmm. It wasn't ready. So she went into the front desk and asked, you know, just, you know can I get the mobile key? When's the room going to be ready? And they, they said, we've turned off the mobile key functionality because of COVID-19. And we both thought that's like the opposite of what they should have been doing. In fact, I think they, I think they've included in their commercial how mm-hmm. e-list entry is going to be used more frequently to be safer. Yeah. So our attempt at contactless uh, check-in um, didn't happen. So then they had to touch her ID and credit card, and right. And then so that so that was frustrating. But you know, I think you know along the way, wearing masks. Um, you know, stop and, and stopping and get to, to get gas involved, wearing mask. Um, if we we're going to go in, if I was going to go inside, let's say to use the bathroom, if I was just pumping gas, I would use paper towels um, for surfaces that I was having to touch. And then hand sanitizer in the car or better yet, you know, going inside using soap and water. But there's trades, trade-offs of how much more exposure do you want to people? Soap and water is better than hand sanitizer, but staying right. away from others is helpful. So we tried, you know, we had a plan. We tried to do it as safely as we could. And at the risk of turning this into like a safe travel podcast, I mean, you, thanks for asking, or, you know, you're, you're going to start traveling again. We actually did take one flight um, the weekend before, we relocated and in flying, you know, is, is a different experience these days with, again, we wore the mask from home, from door to door. Yeah. And so for a two and a half hour flight from Orlando to Dallas or back, mask didn't come off, no water, no food, lots of hand sanitizer, lots of soap and water, hand washing, just trying to do that. It's not safe, but trying to be as safe as reasonably possible. Yeah, but you're, you're, you know, for me, flights were, and it's, you know, this is a small, small grievance, if if it will, or flights were, I don't want to say they were relaxing, but that's where I would sit back, I'd do some reading, at least on flights home, I'd usually have a drink, Um, but, but uh, certainly you're you're kind of on edge the whole time trying to not make a mistake or be doing anything stupid. Yeah. Um, you know, I felt on edge for some of the um, airline staff who didn't have masks on. American, I haven't flown after May 1st, but American claims, you know, everyone's going to wear masks. But I saw flight attendants without masks talking very close proximity to the pilot or the co-pilot before the flight. Two gate agents were talking to each other, like shoulder to shoulder at the terminal, typing and talking. And then the one guy walked away and went to the PA uh, and made the announcement about social distancing and masks. I'm like, okay. yeah. And so I don't know if they were choosing to not wear masks or if they weren't available, but, you know, I, I, I feel bad any of these times where somebody is working and, and you feel like they're putting themselves potentially in harm's way. Yeah. And I could imagine if you're interacting with that many people, you kind of feel like, well, at that point, is the mask really going to make a difference? Now, of course it does. Right. But but um, 
you can see how if you're going to be that exposed and interacting with that many people, you're just like, you know, at that point, I either get it or I don't. Well, and I, and I think there's that, there's that factor of, am I an asymptomatic carrier? And so if we want to put it in a lean frame, um, you know, talking about respect for people, arguably wearing that mask is a way of showing respect to others. I don't know if I'm inadvertently right. um, spreading virus. Um, so there's, 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 that, there's that factor too. Well, looking at it through a lean lens, and I don't think we want to get too deep into into the virus itself, but you know, we talk about problem solving with point of occurrence and point of detection. Mm-hmm. And the further apart they are, um, the harder it is to do problem solving. And, and certainly that's a challenge uh, with, with this particular virus. Yeah. So that, 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 you're right, that does make problem solving difficult. But Mayo, maybe, um, you know, we, we, we let, I want to ask you about some stuff you've been working on and, and we can get to the cocktail talk. I'm going to pace myself. Yeah, yeah. So we'll get on to my that. drink, but I mean, you you've been putting out all kinds of interesting content and doing new things in your time at home. If you want to share a little bit about that, yeah. I mean, so I've certainly invested in in time with my clients and giving them a little bit of extra. Um, I've also helped a lot of small businesses for 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 free where I can. Um, and my advice to them on a strategic level has been double down on what you're best at. I just just focus on what you're best at and double down and go harder on those things. And so for me, it's always been relationships and content. Right? That's kind of those are probably my my some of my core things that I've decided to double down on. And so uh, what's interesting is I've so I've I've launched. In fact, today the email went out uh, about the uh, Jay Flinch Learning Lab, which is really a more deliberate, long-term focus on training and learning programs uh, that, that will be fundamentally virtual, but they'll include coaching, they'll include activities, and yes, they'll include, you know, videos, mm-hmm. but, but they weren't, it's not just static videos, it's, it's all, all experiential. So that, that, that's actually a pivot that, you know, I kind of had on my roadmap anyway. Uh, so I would argue that, that it's, it's not a COVID reaction, but uh, you know, I have, I have reduced, you know, I've, I've gained about two days a week because I'm not on airplanes yeah. in capacity. And, um, and then second, uh, you know, I, I've been able to experiment more with remote learning, uh, by, by requirement. And, and so, so that's allowed me to do some experimentation that's helped me shape my thinking about what the, the Jay Flinch learning lab is going to be all about. So long way away from, from fulfilling my concepts and sketches and ideas, but um, headed down a path there. So that's been some of what I spent my time on. Well, and so maybe COVID-19 has accelerated or gave, gave you the time to, to, to do sooner what you had wanted to, to work on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, Just and, yeah, two days a week on a plane. Those are, those are tough days to, to call true capacity. And, yeah. and that's all back now. That's yeah. all, that's all freed up. So, and, and you've been putting out, you put out a series of free videos on YouTube and you've been doing webinars and. Yeah, I've been doing webinars, did one the other day, had some technical problems, but uh, we go through those things. <laughs> so um, yeah, I did a, a 16 video series on strategic thinking, which wasn't even on my roadmap, but I, I found myself having lots of conversations early on 
uh, with companies about strategy, about pivots. I did a webinar for about 400 business owners on strategic pivots. And so I put together these 16 videos, six of which are interviews, the other is more content. And thought, you know, as many normally this would be sort of sort of behind the firewall, but given how many companies are struggling with their strategic thinking right now, I thought, let me just put this out there for free and um, you know, make it available for more for more folks. So so yeah, those are out as of uh, last week and um, uh, I've gotten a lot of great comments on those. So those are fantastic. So good. What what have you been besides moving across country, what have you been right. Working yeah. Out. Um, so, you know, I've been doing remote work with um, a healthcare client um, that I, uh, you know, continue supporting. And, and that's been, that's work I've been doing through the firm Value Capture. And so I've also done some marketing work with them, including launching a new podcast. And so we call that podcast Habitual Excellence, because that's a phrase that um, founder, the founder of um, Value Capture, Paul O'Neill, um, used a lot. And it was a meaningful phrase um, right. to us. And Mr. O'Neill passed away just a couple of weeks ago. So we, you know, we had been planning the podcast and, and had the name. And so the first episode, again, this had been the plan, was to share um, about 35 minutes of uh, a speech that Mr. O'Neill gave. Um, we're, we're doing interviews and we're doing, you know, different formats around um, themes focused around leadership and healthcare improvement. Like how do you drive towards zero harm and what's the culture you need, um, you know, that focuses on safety and helps drive habitual excellence. So if anyone's listening, you, know, if you are, <laughs> say, if you're listening, <laughs> hear my voice, you are listening to a podcast. So therefore you, you probably like podcasts <laughs> and you might want to check out habitual excellence if you search wherever you're listening to this podcast. Yep. So that's your that's your third podcast now, and top of your lean blog interviews, which have which are up to episode three hundred. What now? Step three seventy. Three seventy. So that's incredible. Uh, lean lean whiskey, which is now on episode sixteen, and now habitual excellence. So. Well, and there, there's also uh, lean blog audio, where I sometimes read blog posts. There's right. an Nexus that's podcast. So I guess this is the fifth. The fifth podcast yeah. that I'm helping produce or involved in, but that's been great fun and I love the content. And so happy to be able to share that with others. Um, the, the other content that I'm consuming at the moment, our, our theme today, people who are watching the video may have noticed our theme is cocktails. That's new. For yep. So, you know, we don't, I don't think either one of us make cocktails a whole lot. You, you probably do more than I do. I do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and, and I do more in the summer, although, you know, in my, my theme shirt, um, I'm, you know, you don't know the difference because you're in Orlando and California, but we've had a very late spring. I'm really ready for some, some warmer weather. I mean, it looks beautiful outside. It's just you get out there and the wind blows and you're, you need a coat. But, but I'll, I'll make more mixed drinks in the summer um, for sure. Um, Oh yeah, we both both did cocktails, of course, whiskey-based cocktails. So tell, tell us what you made. So I made I made an old-fashioned, which is kind of my go-to. Um, so I used uh, I used Glens Creek, uh, our friend David Meyer, Glens Creek. Yeah. Uh, Cuervito Vivo, uh, which is his new one, uh, really roughly translates into live crow, yeah. as opposed to old crow. Um, 
And, and as we were talking about this, I, I went to my bar and realized I hadn't made a mixed drink in a little while, found out it was out of simple syrup. Yeah. So I've, I've made my own, it's not really complicated, but my own homemade simple syrup using maple syrup. Okay. And, and I have to say, I uh, really like it. It adds, you mm -hmm. know, you basically, the easiest way to do it is make equal parts of maple syrup and water, shake it up, and you're good to go. It's not a complicated okay. recipe. So it's like one-to-one, -one, like sugar and water, simple syrup would be. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Well, and it's not maple syrup isn't all sugar, right? But so, but but yeah, one-to-one -one ratio between the two. Shake it up. Um, there's no no uh, distilling involved or right. uh, uh, any of that. So, uh, but it, the the flavor profile, you know, it doesn't just add sweet. It adds a little bit of that richness and depth. Um, mm -hmm. So so that's that's that. what I'm using. You know, I have the. Uh, Angostura uh, bitters. bitters. Mm -hmm. yep. So those are um, those are my 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 go-to. I do realize I'm running out of running out of cherries, but that's usually because I go <laughs> usually one one more than a recipe would call for. And uh, when you're at the bottom of the jar, you get a little too much syrup. So that's the other challenge. But um, yeah, so that's what that's what I'm enjoying tonight. How about so yourself? I'll talk about my drink and now then we can debate method, right? So yeah, we have process guys. Like this isn't like, pardon the interruption where we argue and debate, but this is the, the preview teaser. This might be the closest thing we get to like a, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it would be an impassioned debate or it might be just a nerdy comparison. Or so both. to me, the triumvirate of whiskey based cocktails are of course the old fashioned, the Manhattan was always mm -hmm. uh, also a favorite. I, I do make those, um, you know, two ounces. I, I prefer rye, two ounces of rye, three quarter ounces of sweet vermouth and a couple dashes of bitters. And, you know, bitters are fun. You can play around with different bitters that have different right. flavors and what have you. But the third leg of the stool, and I'm mixing metaphors, to me is a, a drink I was introduced to Later, more recently, made just a couple years ago, the uh, the Boulevardier. So, um, I mean, do you, are you? It's, if it's, I've, the last, you know, it's been a while since I've had one, and if so, it would be at a bar. I've never made one, um, and I and I I'm sure I don't have all the right ingredients, so I'd have to wait a little while till I can get them. But uh, I'm definitely interested in giving it a shot. It's well, it's so it's pretty easy. So it's a variation, like a little bit of history. Uh, the Negroni, which right. like to me in the summer, that's a great cocktail. Um, it's, an, it's equal parts, one ounce each, gin, sweet vermouth, and uh, Campari, which is kind of a bitter, sweetish uh, liqueur. It's probably more bitter mm -hmm. um, than, than anything. So that might be the one ingredient you're missing, Jamie? I'm definitely missing that, yeah. yeah. So Campari is about 28 $30 um, a, a bottle and a little bit goes a long way because we're not using that much. Now the Boulevardier is basically a whiskey Negroni, but through my own, I'll call it, I'm giving it too much credit, but I'm, I'm going to call it a PDSA process or an experimental process. I've come to learn that like, to me, I like the balance of a more whiskey forward drink here. Yes. So my recipe that I've used, and, and some bartenders agree, 
Um, I'm using two ounces of, in this case, Michter's straight rye. Mm-hmm. As far you know, this is it's 42% alcohol, but I like Michter's a lot. I I prefer for cocktails something that's like 46 to 50 percent because ice and you know it, it right. dilutes a little bit. But yeah. I mean, um, it's so, by design. That's what cocktails are. Sure. So I'm using uh, Michter's three three quarter ounce of uh, Campari and then three or three quarters ounce of sweet vermouth. And this is a vermouth I, I've never tried before. I like splurging a little bit on the vermouth. This is about $17 for a half bottle size. Okay. But again, like it, it goes bad relatively quickly. It's fortified wine. So you don't want to keep it more than a couple of weeks. Okay. You want um, fresh flavor. So it's, it's a little bit whiskey heavy. Um, but I think it's it's a really good balanced whiskey, sweet, mm-hmm. bitter um, cocktail. Yeah, and I think so, we both like rye in our in our whiskey cocktails. Um, so I, I didn't. I was going to use a dad's hat rye, mm-hmm. um, but I, I you know I recently used that for another episode. So I thought let me let me try it with uh, with David's uh, bourbon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we both use rye quite a bit for our, our, our some of our mixed drinks. I, I like um, rye old fashions because to me the rye spice and the, the syrup, the sweetness, like, you know, yep. bourbon old fashioned can be good, but it runs the risk of um, maybe yeah. being too sweet. Lots of sweetness. Yep. But so now process talk. So I've been a convert to the school that says you should you should stir cocktails. You should only shake cocktails if they include citrus because you want to help somehow you have to chemically get the citrus to incorporate. And then I think dairy, if you're somehow doing a cocktail with cream, Bailey's or something, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's right. For sure, citrus. As far as whiskey tacos, I'm only going to claim to be like 90% correct. on because yeah, I don't know the 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 bar expert nerds say somehow you bruise the alcohol if you shake it. So I, I I'll admit I have not done the side by side comparison. Right. But I did stir this in um, a big glass cocktail stirrer with with a with a spoon and strained it into the glass. And I'm, I'm using kind of the big round ball ice cube. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, first of all, you need the gear, right? You need the right, the right uh, mixing jar for that. You need the spoon, you need the strainer right, for all of that. Um, and, and I don't, you know, I think if you were getting, if you were really splitting hairs, I, I would, I would definitely agree uh, that stirring is better than, than shaking. Um, but I have enough uh, PDSA to do on my mixed drinks right. and like the variation from drink to drink in me getting the right proportions and, and adding some variation and, and even trying different whiskeys and running out of simple syrup probably is a greater impact than whether I shake or stir. <laughs> sure. So, so I think, I think it's a matter of where you are on the progression of things that, that matter. Now, to be fair, when I, when I, I use, I do use a shaker, but a lot of times I'll put in, I'll also put in a, a, a big round ball ice cube in the shaker. So it's less likely to chip. It's less likely to huh. dilute. 
Um, and it's just, you know, I'm just using, I have like three of them, the, the ball makers. So it's, it's not like it costs right. me anything. It's just one more thing to fill up. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't shake it like this. I, Oh, okay. I, so I, you're I maybe stirring, you're stirring it inside a shaker. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think that might be a fair point. Right. So I, I might be stirring it inside a shaker. Um, yeah, it's, it's still more than, 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 than just the using the stirrer, but but yeah, I'm not, I'm not banging the heck out of it. Yeah. Cause I mean like making a margarita, like I will shake, I will shake that. But um, now, but you know, with an old fashioned um, that's, this is splitting hairs, but I do that sometimes. Um, that's like, so Manhattan, I would stir the Bovardier I would stir. I was taught um, when we took a cocktail making class that an old fashioned, you can layer it in the glass so you can, have your ice, you can put in the bitters, put in the syrup, put in the whiskey, and then just sort of like just circulate it a little bit within the glass. And, you know, you're, you're not getting the chilling dynamic. That's one reason to shake a drink. It is one reason to shake a drink. And, and again, I, I drink more mixed drinks in the summer when I, you know, half the point is to drink it chilled, mm-hmm. um, at least for me. So I think that's a factor. I think there's no way you're getting a complete, you know, the, if you just mix it in the glass, meaning you just put the ingredients and layer it, right. there's no way the first sip tastes like the last sip. Um, you you uh, can kind of like get the spoon into the bottom and kind of. Well, if you use a spoon and stir it, sure. But if you're just layering it and drinking it. Right. No, but there's no way that all the sips of the drink are the same, but maybe that's, that's part of the event. It's more of a bottom to top process instead of a, round and round right process but so here's what i propose um a couple episodes ago i think we talked about the really nice water dropper that you gifted me and thank you again for that um i've i've ordered i'm going to send you and then whenever we do a cocktail episode again in the future i'm going to suggest we do a side by side with like too many cocktails so i'm nice. sending you um a stirring glass with a strainer i'm sending you i like the good grips measuring stainless steel jigger because it has the two ounce mark, the one and a half, the one ounce, the three quarter, the half ounce is good measurements and uh, a spoon. So we'll we'll have to experiment maybe. We'll have to experiment. That's a great test. Um, (laughs) What's really sad is, you know, I don't even have a jigger. So I, I, I use, I use a kitchen measuring cup to Mm. get my proper pour of whiskey. Um, so I'm, 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 you know, stealing stuff from the kitchen, bringing it to the bar, making my drink and then have to make sure it all gets back. So um, I am poorly outfitted for, for mixing cocktails. So that'll, that'll make the difference. And that'll be, uh, we're coming up on summer. So that'll be a perfect all summer right. episode of USD. And I'm thinking of the old expression, a good carpenter never blames his tools, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> I think a good carpenter. Uh, cares a whole lot about their tools. So <laughs> you can put the adage aside. Yeah. All right. So maybe, I mean, we, yeah, we've said lean, we've said PDSA a couple of times, but maybe we, we want to get into the deeper. We, we probably should. Lean probably should business path. So you, you, you came up with the topic and we've been working from home, but you found a couple of articles that we'll link to in the show notes. If you want to kind of introduce the topic, Jamie. Yeah, so, so um, you know, it actually started with an article uh, going back, I don't have a date in front of me, but going back quite a ways now uh, from China, uh, which is really the first work at home experiment. And uh, 
there's been more, you know, articles in, in Europe and ones here. I, I heard tonight on the news, uh, I can't remember the name of the company, a company announcing that they're going to tell their employees you can work from home permanently. And so this has been a great experiment. And that's the word I've been, I've been deliberately using, although some of these articles have, sure. is experiment the heck out of this because it's new to everybody. Um, so, so, you know, the, the key question is then what will businesses and businesses is kind of generic, but managers, executives, team leaders learn from this work at home experiment. So we have a whole bunch of articles to share. Um, but I, I do think it was interesting uh, just to start off with the first experiments, which were in China. And I, I have whole bunch of friends in China, I have clients in China. I, I talked to a few of them early on, well before we were shut down and they were shut down. And uh, yeah, it was very surreal just hearing them talk about it then. Um, but, you know, certainly you know, I, I think one of the quotes from one of the articles was interesting because it, it reflects how this might really shape how management might be done. And this was a, uh, Xinzun, uh, uh, 36-year-old, a manager at uh, Pinguan Bank in Shenzhen. Um, he says he feels he has less control over his employees when they're not in the office. Uh, quote, working from home made administration harder due to less efficient communication and employees slacking off at work doing personal things. Uh, when working from home, my team members sometimes respond late to me, which makes me feel out of control. Now, it's a bank. I'm sure it's a back office processing based on the way he's describing it. Uh, every function is different, but it, it really is one aspect, maybe the crux of this whole uh, work from home experiment for most companies. Well, and I mean, like, so the word control like, is an interesting red flag to me. I mean, I think, you know, leaders may need to sort of try to get over that control habit or, you know, it sounds like, you know, a problem. And I, I, sometimes there's an illusion of control, but when you think of, you know, control versus leading, setting direction and empowering coach, you know, coaching instead of controlling. Um, and, you know, the, the slacking off, I mean, I think the reality now, I mean, you know, uh, my wife and I have the distraction of, of the move, but we've got no kids, we've got no pets. Try to be really empathetic to colleagues and people I'm meeting with who do have to juggle that mm -hmm. and they have interruptions in meetings and the, the cat jumps on their lap or the dog is tearing up the garden. And that that's, that's life now. Um, right. And, and, you know, I think sometimes people need given the anxiety and stress that's induced by this, it, you call it slacking off. Is it necessary mental health time? There's, there's different ways of looking at this. Yeah, I think, and, and I think that's the key question is the difference between you know, right now and permanent working from home conditions, right? Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, slacking off being one aspect, um, to pretend that you could see someone at their desk and know that they were giving their work their full attention right. is, is part of the illusion, right? right. Um, I mean, I remember going back, oh, so 20 some years, what, 25 years ago almost, uh, we took and I was in a manufacturing plant. We we basically sliced off all the cubicle walls in half. Yeah. And there's a couple employees that ones that complained the loudest were ones that would they come to work for 12 hours a day. 
but they pretty much sit at their desk and take a nap because all somebody could see is the back of their head as they walk by their cubicle opening. So, you know, and now they were exposed. And so I, I think the idea that, you know, because I can see everybody, because they're here at work, they're inherently more productive is uh, uh, perhaps the first fallacy because we, we certainly don't know that. And, um, and I think it is often an illusion. Yeah. Yeah. And then when it comes to communication, if um, you know, there's less efficient communication, there, there are different ways we may need to experiment and figure out how to better communicate. Um, if the methods that um, the manager from the bank and his employees are using right now are inefficient, there's always a better way. That's my, my Kaizen hat, I guess, um, saying that. But I think you know, there's the question of productivity. What are we measuring? Are we measuring hours and activity? Or are we measuring value to the customer? Are we measuring results and business performance? Um, it's, it's, it's usually easier to measure the inputs. I mean, you, right. I mean I've seen some articles where people... I wouldn't like this or like, you know, people, you know, the, they're literally being measured, of, you know, how many letters are they striking on their keyboard every day? I'm like, well, if I'm being paid by the letter, I'm going to write a lot of long, meaningless, unproductive emails, maybe. I mean, you know. Well, sure. And, and I'm sure, you know, I don't know if they uh, subtract when you hit backspace, but <laughs> uh, it's kind of like putting the car in reverse and Type it right. off. Type it right the first time, Jamie. <laughs> So I think metrics are going to be helpful for, for functions where activity does equal output, right? So, you know, in certain jobs, you know, engineering, for example, uh, marketing, hours doesn't equal value. Hours doesn't equal output or contribution. It's, it's about talent. It's about creativity. It's about that moment, right? So, so I think there's some jobs where we have to evaluate outcomes, and there are jobs that are, are fundamentally based on activity. And, but, but that's where metrics, you know, not this uh, air of control, but you know, metrics can be your friend in that case. Right? How do I know my employees are productive? Well, because their metrics show it. And, and I, I've talked to organizations who, even in, even in uh, uh, more knowledge-based, more uh, creative-based processes like product development, they, they actually have good measures and they've already found that there's parts of product development that were, were more productive at home and some parts that were less productive. Right. And so I think, I think there will be some companies that evaluate this and say, we're going to let more people work from home period. I think there's others that are going to take some of their processes and say, you know what, when you're in this phase of work, when you're in creative mode or dive deep mode or data analysis mode, go work at home, skip the, skip the meetings and just focus, right? And, and, and don't be distracted by all the stuff going on in the office. So I think there'll be process changes. I think there'll be behavior changes. And I think there'll be metric changes as well that come along with this. And then the, the big one is if I measure, if I'm managing not by oversight, but by through metrics and performance, and I wasn't already using managers as coaches, because that's one reason to have more of them, then do we need as many managers? Right? Can we can we have a flatter organization? And again, I, I think if you're investing in coaching, I think you need a less flat organization. 
But if it's really management is about just managing performance and you have better tools for communication and measuring performance, you don't need as many managers. Yeah. Um, so one thing you know, within the context of, of Kinexus and in terms of disclosures, um, you know, software company, Jamie is an investor. I'm an advisor to the company and have an ownership stake. For two months now, the whole company, the Austin office, the Dallas office has been completely work from home mode. And now as you know, within Texas, as things are starting to loosen up a little bit, you know, Greg, the CEO, Matt, the COO, COO uh, Jeff, the chief revenue officer, have had conversations and I've talked to them because I, I've, I've been um, doing, uh, prepared a webinar about ideas about going back to work and trying to do so safely. And so I was picking their brains and there's this question of, it's not even so much when to go back to the office, but if is the conversation that's being had. Um, Matt, the COO, and maybe this was in, within the tech team realm that he leads most directly, you know, he was saying, you know, that they feel 90 to 95% effective in work from home mode. So then Greg, who, you know, is of course an ER doctor and CEO is kind of looking at the risk reward. Like, well, so if we go back to the office and we get marginal effectiveness improvement, but now we're creating risk as a relatively small company of about 20 employees, one employee getting really sick is bad. Two getting really sick is devastating. Like, well, why, why introduce that risk? So on the one hand, they've had good conversations about what would you do to open up an office most safely? But then again, we're like, well, should we even, should we even go back? You know, the conversations are, are, are being had there. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, there, there's multiple, there's the risk factor, right. Of how that, um, how that plays out. I think there's also just the, the cost of infrastructure. Now, I do think there'll be some changes where stipends, we've already seen some of the stipends for home office expenses and stuff like that will be offered. But, you know, Kinex is based in Austin, not exactly the cheapest real estate. I know they're not based downtown, but how valuable is that expense if it's really not affecting the outcome? Um, yeah. So I guess, you know, this is an area where it's not transactions, right? It's not action equals outcome. It's, it's really about outcome. So how at Kinexus are you evaluating that perspective of, of effectiveness and what, what leads to that sort of 90, 95% confidence uh, yeah. in, in, in the uh, effectiveness? I mean, that 90 to 95 is not a measurement. That's like a, a just a, a swag. It's a, it's a guesstimate. But even during this era, I mean, customers are still being supported. And a lot of that is one-on-one -on -one calls and web meetings between a Kinexus customer experience person and the customer. Huge difference doing that from home? Probably not. Um, we've actually closed deals and signed new customers in this environment. So sales can be um, effective in the different ways you would measure um, performance. So there's that question of the work getting done. 
Mm -hmm. But I'll also, you know, just give a shout out to the Kinexus leadership team that they've focused not just on maintaining the business and at least keeping things stable, even if growth ambitions maybe get tempered a bit. They're focused on business results and the work that needs to be done, but they're also focusing on the employees and their whole person. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of, um, there's a daily web, there's a daily Zoom meeting in the morning um, that's a very kind of tactical check-in. Like, what's your plan for the day? Do you need help with anything? We, we do different huddles and meetings um, all, all the time. And there's always been a few remote employees. So web meetings are not a brand new thing. Right. But um, end of the day is a much more free form, like basically water cooler time. And then there's a Friday Zoom happy hour. And there, there's been a lot of focus on just checking in. It's not just, are you getting your work done? But how are you doing? I think those are both important conversations to have. And I think they go hand in hand when people realize they work for an organization where the leaders care about them as individuals, that strengthens their commitment to the company. Right. Yeah. And I, I've been, you know, I, I think we're all more attuned to it right now, but I've, I've always believed that sort of personal check-ins and one-on-ones is kind of the first thing you want to lead off in mm-hmm. and actually develop standards for making sure that's part of it. Um, definitely. I've been spending even more time with even people I don't know and I'm meeting for the first time doing sort of what I'll call mental health check-ins at the beginning of, of calls. Um, just because, I, you know, I, as I, I've said multiple times, this is going to be the third wave of the, the, the crisis, right? First, first virus, second economic, and third mental health. Mm. Um, but to your point around you guys already being used to it, some companies were a lot. So Corvo, where I was on the executive team last, last three years, we had five executive, five different locations across the executive team. We're quite the company's 30 some locations, quite used to working over video, over other remote purposes. And uh, I found an interesting stat. It was from 2005 to 17, which is not that big a window, it's 12 years, but <laughs> you think about technology, it almost seems like a lifetime. But in the United States, there was a 159% increase in remote work. Yeah, and so this was this was already headed in that direction. Um, I think that number was before the pandemic, or actually going back a few years. Uh, over three percent of the population was working remotely. Obviously, we won't maintain the levels that we're at now. But is the is the biggest thing that changed uh, that people's perceptions of remote work? were forced into, into the experiment and uh, at least answer, you know, oh, I don't know if that'll be effective. Well, you've been forced to find out. <laughs> forced and, experiment. It's been a forced experiment for sure. And I think many have, uh, many have found out that as long as they're deliberate about how they design their work, they can be just as effective. Hmm. So then, you know, we both talked a little bit about supporting clients remotely. Um, and I talked a little bit earlier about the risks, if not unpleasantness of um, travel, business travel. What, what are your thoughts about, like, how, how do you weigh the pros and cons of when or if to travel again? Yeah, I mean, as somebody that has, you know, at-risk medical, condi- medical conditions, I, I, I like, 
I'm putting that out in the future. I have no idea when I will. I, I definitely want to see uh, clear evidence that um, yeah, I don't need. There's there's no work I need to do that's worth risking my own my own life. And so, uh, so I'll personally probably take it very slow. That being said, um, you know, I, I started this year actually with only two clients because I, I entered a new phase. One of them was in Israel and it was coaching that was only about, you know, less than a day, a, a quarter. I'm not going to fly to Israel for less than a day, a quarter of work. And so the whole engagement was planned remotely. And that was, you know, I'll say long before, but that was before uh, we even contemplated uh, these challenges. And, and you know, to me, it's been perfectly well effective. Um, so, you know, I, I look at my own work. I, I certainly see that I can do an awful lot of it uh, working remotely. And, and I think companies, for their own purposes, will find the same thing. I, I'm sure that there's things that just we just can't wait to get together. I know for me, being able to, quite frankly, go out for dinner with a client and talk about something that wasn't on the agenda is part of that that I'm I'm going to miss the most right now. Right. But but I don't see I, I first see business travel taking a good two to four years to recover. Yeah. Um and I think there's parts of it that may never recover. That may never go back to the way it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, conferences, um, speaking engagements, consulting engagements. You know, the the different things I do and, and you do. Um, yeah, it's all up in the air. Um, you know, with me working with healthcare clients, the one primary care client I've had is really weighing the safety dynamic of, you know, any additional outside visitor increases risk, especially if it's somebody traveling from another state. Um, and, you know, one clinic I was working with, um, you know, was working with, uh, you know, expectant mothers. And so there's additional sensitivity. And so there's questions around travel safety. And then there's, you know, for me, that additional dynamic of, um, you know, potentially at-risk patient populations. And then I've got to think about my own um, health as well. And the, I think business travel will become increasingly unpleasant where, like you mentioned, um, some of the things that are fun and help tip the balance toward making it tolerable may go away. If it's a matter of waking up, um, eating a, you know, a grab and go breakfast because you can't have, you know, a, a, the breakfast buffet in the lounge anymore, or, you know, um, going to work and then coming home and eating takeout and being isolated in your hotel room. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm an introvert, but I like to get out. I like to go to dinners with people. Yep. So, um, yeah, it just changes that question of like, is the business travel, is the business travel worth it? And, can, well, one, it, can the work be done in other ways? That's the other right, way. right. Yeah, I think that's the that's the key, and and I've been experimenting with that. That's the J Flinch Learning Lab is an opportunity for that for me. So I've been one person I've been paying attention to, and I only I only learned about her because she's a fellow graduate of Lehigh, is a woman named Sasha Connor, uh, who runs an organization now called Virtual Work Insider, and 
her her claim to fame is that she was at a very senior level, um, basically director of marketing for the Clorox company. And um, she ran an entire team remotely and, and really kind of broke some barriers. I know, I'm sure she wasn't the first, but she definitely uh, did things. And she, she talks about it a lot. She's definitely become, uh, uh, I'll say, world famous because she was already a, uh, a remote work expert uh, before this came about. But she would, you know, one story I remember her telling in, in, a, in a, I think it was a webinar that she did, was, you know, she was director of marketing for Clorox. She lived in East Coast, I think Pennsylvania. There was a focus group in California and they said, you have to fly out here. She said, why? Well, I'm not running the focus group. It's like, oh, but you need to, you need to, you know, react and, you know, give your input. Well, okay, I can watch it on a monitor and the person who's in the room that is running it, I can text them. Why should I fly to California to run a folk, to, to be, to observe a focus group, right? That's right. all she was doing. And, um, and so that's what she did and it worked just as well. And so, you know, she, she basically started challenging all the assumptions that, uh, that, you in fact have to be, uh, you know, you have to travel in order to do your work. Yeah, you, you said challenging, and I just taken a note to make the comment. What what I'm hearing reminds me of, like to me, an important lean mindset of challenging the way we've always done it, and that's happening a lot right now. And that can be a great opportunity. So, like for example, from a, a healthcare clinic standpoint, um, there's been a huge revolution in a lot of organizations if telehealth video visits was something that organizations wanted to do it reminds me of what you were saying earlier jamie the pandemic has accelerated that it went from a nice to do someday to a must do right now right and so there's a lot more video medicine taking place and then for things that have to be done in the office there is now risk and you can be proactive and thinking about you don't want people near each other in the waiting rooms. Um, a new process, I'm curious to get your reaction, voice of the customer, Jamie, as a patient, potential patient. You check in online through your app, which is already a, a possibility today. And then when you arrive, you send a signal through the app that says, you know what, I'm here and I'm in the parking lot and I'm sitting in the comfort of my car. And when you're ready for me, text me and I'll come in and you tell me go to room eight through the text message. I don't need someone to hold my hand going down the hallway Yep. to reduce some of the contact and interaction. And you think like, maybe we should have always been doing it that way, at least with the technology, like pandemic or not. Yep. Like I can sit in my car and listen to music or listen to a podcast, I should say podcast, but listen to satellite radio. And then, you know, uh, come on in when they're ready for me. Hopefully, yeah, I, you know, I would love that. Right. But it goes back to the, uh, you know, the, the keyless uh, hotel room that isn't always followed. Right. Is, is, it, is it, is it, is it doesn't always work. You know, the technology doesn't always work. The user isn't always ready. Um, you know, I would love that. I, I think hotel or uh, sorry, doctor office waiting rooms are the scariest places on the planet. <laughs> um, so I, I would love that idea and I hate waiting there and I, I try to figure out which seat to, to get that gets keeps me away from other people. 
So I, I love that idea. But then I also think about, you know, the biggest consumer of healthcare is the elderly mm-hmm. who are, you know, again, future elderly 20 years from now will be plenty of tech savvy, but not, we're not there yet. And uh, so I, I think we, 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 we have to be careful that we don't, um, we don't turn the use of technology for remote work and its many forms into a ageism problem. Um, we just need to be careful about uh, about all of that. Yeah, and I think there's that question of like again in general being careful. Like if there is a preventive measure that you can take that has no real downside or enormous cost, why not? It's like to me, like wearing a mask out someplace might not be perfect. Is wearing a mask going to hurt? No. Um, Washing my hands more frequently. Like I heard advice. It was actually a video from a woman who was born with a immune disorder. And then to help fix that, she had a bone marrow transplant. In this video, she talked about basically, it was like she was living in a pandemic world before we were. Right. And hygiene, all of this was um, super critical. And her one rule of thumb that I've tried to live by here, she said, if you can't remember the last time you washed your hands, you should probably just wash your hands. Right. Like even if you're home, because like if I'm out and about and who, you know, I don't know, you know, my phone is not the cleanest phones are not the cleanest of devices. Right. Like what's the risk and the harm. If you've got the soap, wash your hands. And like now my wife, if you know, she puts lotion on her hands cause she feels like her hands have, have gotten dry. That that's a reasonable countermeasure that can address that issue. Um, so I think there's a lot of these things like, you know, using a paper towel, to grab the gas pump handle, like we talked about. What is there a, a slight minuscule amount of harm to the environment? Maybe uh, from the paper and what happens to it. But like, I'm, I'm willing to err on the side of safety. And if, if it doesn't hurt, why not do it? Like, you know, I, like personally, do I wipe down all of my groceries when I get home with a Lysol disinfectant wipe? No, because for one, if I touch stuff, I wash my hands. If I take stuff out of a package and I'm about to eat it, what do I do? I wash my hands. But if somebody else wants to Lysol wipe the heck out of everything, probably can't hurt. There are certain countermeasures though that people should not do because it could hurt like rinsing their vegetables in a diluted bleach solution. Like I've heard experts saying like, well, no, don't do that. That could, that will hurt you. So that's just part of what we're trying to navigate. Yeah, and, and and I think people have to, you know, make sure they're understanding where their source of information. I saw a video about, you know, we might be able to extract um, uh, antibodies from llama blood. And uh, there's been llama farmers that have been getting phone calls saying, hey, can I extract blood from your llamas so I can drink it? <laughs> you know, there's just, that's not how science works, right? Um, and, and I've said multiple times, I do hope that, one of the silver linings of all of this is that we have more kids, more 18 year olds, 16 year olds that want to go into the sciences. Um, I think we, we never, we never can have enough people that have studied science as it is, but um, I think we've strayed a bit from the, the work from home experiment. And if there's, if there's just a, one conclusion, I, I think it's that there's a whole, it's not an experiment. It's dozens or hundreds of experiments. Yeah 
and that some of them, maybe most of them, will turn out to be productive and many of them will stick. Yeah, and, and I think it's about being experimental, following plan, do study, adjust cycles. You know, we had a listener question, maybe we can just touch on it briefly because I think we've there are some common themes here where a listener asks, how can we apply lean thinking to large-scale efforts like reopening a state or contract contact tracing or similar, I think, you know, how can we be experimental and can we really gauge cause and effect when there's roughly a two week delay between changes we might make in society and infection rates? Right. You know, you, you know, if you look at, you know, system dynamics is taught at MIT or from Peter Senge's book, um, the fifth discipline Cause and effect analysis, and I think you touched on this earlier, gets really challenging when there are time delays. So right. we'll reopen society a lot and a week later say, people aren't getting sick, people aren't dying. And, but then a week after that, whoops, maybe. Right. Yeah, and I think, I think that's where, you know, again, at a, at a state level, I'm not even going to comment on, but at a company level, you know, I, I, I've, I've dealt with so many problems where people say, well, I've, I've made this improvement. We won't really know if it works for six months. Well, then keep it open for six months, right? That's your test. <laughs> right. And, and I think as it applies to, uh, you know, changes that companies make, right, which is probably far more of our listeners than, say, government policymakers, then, then make sure that you're not declaring success on what works and what doesn't work prematurely, right? Yeah. So experimentation is key, but make sure you understand how are you going to test your hypothesis before you you start? Because if you don't know how you test your hypothesis, then it's not an experiment. It's just changing stuff, right? right. So, so know, know what your hypothesis is and know how you're going to test it. And if that requires a two-week wait or a four-week wait, then fine. Then that's your test, right? But, but make that your test and, 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 and evaluate it appropriately. So yeah. I think... There's so many micro problems to solve uh, from shared bathrooms to entrances to crossing over boundaries in factories that we, we need to really make sure that when we when we make a change, we are thinking about it from a from an experimental basis. Yeah. All right. So do you want to touch a little bit on. The closing fun question. We 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 took a very abbreviated approach to the listener question. Is there anything else? Or what, what do you think? We're figuring this out as we go. We had a plan, but we're <laughs> studying and adjusting as we go. Well, I, I think I think for the listener question because I do think it's an interesting approach. I mean, it you is. know, Ken Lean. I think we were there's an incredible number of people that were critical of uh, Jim Womack's early response to you know Lean should take a back seat or I don't remember what he was saying uh, about COVID, but I do think there are methods that are worth exploring. Uh, you know, there's certain things that have to scale up like uh, laboratory services, contact tracing. These are places where training within industry, in, within industry can serve us really, really well to train people to scale up really fast. Right. Um, so I think we have to think about that. I think it's about breaking problems down uh, you know, understanding, not broad basis, but understanding all point of occurrence, point of detection, 
all the potential failure modes. I mean, heck, do an FMEA analysis on uh, contacting other people at your office. Right. Right. I mean, the, these tools and methods work to understand systems of work. So use them for this purpose. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that webinar, I, I got invited to do a webinar um, through Entrepreneur Magazine, and I, I already recorded it. It's not being broadcast until June 3rd. But FMEA is one of the main things I mentioned of like being proactive. Awesome. Failure mode affects some analysis. Um, we, we, we can't afford to just wait for somebody in the workplace to get sick and then do reactive problem solving. No, because you will have affected, infected 30% of the, uh, the organization by that point. So yeah, look at, look at the work, look at the day in the life. In fact, do direct observation, mm -hmm. uh, go through a day in your own life and focus on every point in your day where you might touch a similar surface or come in contact with other people and then use that as a potential failure mode and figure out how you might be able to eliminate or reduce it. Whether, whether reduce it is cleaning schedules or elimination is changing the work process, right? And that's, that's how you eliminate failures through FMEA. I think that's a fantastic tool to use here. Yeah. So a, a, a tool that's relatively old, but I think well-proven and, you know, it's a mindset as much as anything. I mean, uh, it's, it's a matter of, you know, you know, being proactive, figuring out what could go wrong and putting preventive measures in place uh, in advance and then right. evaluating and adjusting. We, we hope we have perfect preventative measures. If not, we'll learn and adapt and, and move on. You got it. All right. So I think the, the closing question today, um, you know, I think, you know, gratitude is an important um, concept, especially right now. Um, you know, Jamie, if, you know, maybe you want to go first. What's the most surprising good thing about shelter in place or quarantining? Yeah. And I, I think so. So I will say, I think gratitude is an important word these days because uh, I always say, you know, focus on the controllables. Well, there's some things that you can control and that is, you know, kind of your gratitude. That's something you can decide to, to sure. focus on. And, and, you know, so, you know, the obvious answer, right? So this is why most surprising versus obvious. The most obvious is the time I've gotten with my family. But mm -hmm. I, I think the most surprising is really I've lived where I live for 12 years now and, and how much I've enjoyed my own property. Um, I take walks where, you know, I, I'm kind of locked in a little bit, even though I'm in, out in the country. So I mostly walk around a block or, down one road. Uh, I, I enjoy to sit and look at the open space. I enjoy the birds. And it's been great for sitting, reflection, right? People talk about going on a retreat in order to reflect. Well, I feel I can go to the porch and reflect. Yeah. <laughs> and so I've been, I've been truly grateful for, I mean, I have friends who are living in condos or apartments in New York City. Yeah. Um, right. And, and I, I can't, you know, they, I can't imagine they, they probably stare out the peephole to look for a safe time to exit. Um, I feel tremendously grateful for where I live and enjoying the, the open space, the open air. And uh, I, you know, I've never been happier that I live where I live uh, and, and, and really enjoy it, really enjoy yeah. the, the space. Yeah, because, you know, it's, there's a difference where, um, 
you know, we're here in a temporary apartment. It's a small one bedroom apartment in Los Angeles. The apartment complex that we're in right now um, says required wearing a mask anytime you leave your apartment. So technically speaking, walking out to go put trash down the chute or to go get the mail requires wearing a mask. Now, all things considered, is that the worst thing in the world? No. So one thing I've really tried to practice, um, and, you know, in addition to gratitude, is patience and keeping an eye on, on the bigger picture. Um, not getting annoyed by things, not being in a rush. You know, I think it's good practice. If you go to the elevator, this would happen more in the condo building in Orlando, you know, 18-story condo building with three elevators. You know, you're in the lobby, you've come home from going out for an exercise walk, and, you know, you, you you know, or actually, you know, we drive. It would happen. We would drive home. We're on the fourth floor parking and you hit the elevator to go up and the, the door opens and there's somebody already inside. And you're like, you know what? I'm good. I'll wait. I can wait a couple of minutes. It's not right. the end of the world to wait. And so I've been trying to be more patient. It's not easy. No. But I've been trying to focus on like what's important. Is it really important that I rush home as quickly as possible? No. I'll wait for the next elevator. Um, but, you know, back to the question of, you know, the surprising good thing. Um, my wife and I have been married 18 and a half years. And there is, we were talking about this. We've, we've talked about this a couple of times. I don't think there's a single point in all of those years of marriage where we have been home in the same place at night, every night for nine consecutive weeks. <laughs> <laughs> And she still brought me to California with her. So I'll claim that as a success. Yep, that's a success. Um, <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's fair. I, I've been married 23 years and, and um, maybe in the beginning it would, would have, I'd have a different stat, but I, I always like to say I've, I've only been married two years if you count the time we've been together. So um, yeah, it, 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 is, uh, it is nice being together um, and you know, Part of me, while I love my work, I truly do, and yeah. I love my clients, yeah. um, and I definitely miss many of them. Uh, there's a part of me that wonders why I travel so much, and, and being being home more uh, has made me appreciate that exact thing. So, yeah, I uh, I, I feel you there, and and um, glad you were able to support her and her move in that whole process because mm -hmm. that's a big deal. Glad I'm able to. We've always, we've done similar math. Like how many nights have we actually been home together at the same time? And we always joke like, well, we're good. You know, I wonder the both of us are gone so much we can't get sick of each other. I'm glad she, I don't think she's sick of me after nine weeks. So that's, <laughs> that's reaffirming. That's positive. That's a good thing. So uh, cheers to that. Cheers. We're, we're both getting quite low. No, I'm, I'm done. I, I poured just a little splash more. I mean, it's uh relatively early here in LA. So I, we got a three hour time difference right now. We haven't had to deal with that yet. We've only had a one hour so far. Yeah. So um, let's go ahead and wrap up. And, you know, for one, thank you everybody for listening um, for, for people who, you know, Jamie and I do this podcast because we enjoy it and we hope others enjoy it. And we appreciate anyone who um, chooses to join us and listen. And especially if, if you've gotten to the end here, thank you. Um, but you know, we want to remind people if this is perhaps the first episode that you have listened to and you are not sick of us and you're willing to come back for more, 
Um, you can go to leanwhiskey.com. You can spell whiskey, K-E-Y or K-Y at the end. Um, both of those will forward. You can also go to leanblog.org slash leanwhiskey. Or if you would rather give the web traffic to Jamie, you can go to. Yeah, I should probably track that web traffic. I don't really do that. But jflinch.com slash leanwhiskey will also find the same, uh, find you at the same point. So speaking of metrics, I don't think we're setting that, setting that up as a competition of whether listeners I'm sure you'd win. Prefer, I don't know. I don't, but, um, but thank you for listening. If you're listening to us and uh, you like the podcast, um, we encourage you to subscribe. You can find us. If, if you're listening on the web, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, um, other podcast apps and other places um, where you wherever you're normally listening to podcasts yeah, and please do you know rate us review us subscribe uh you know it really first of all feedback we love you know we both thrive on the idea uh, of continuous improvement and and it helps other people find us if you rate and review us so um you're not just doing it for us you're doing it for other people so we really appreciate any amount that you uh you do there yeah. So thank you for that. Um, you know, to everybody who has rated and reviewed the podcast. Um, and if you've got feedback, you can contact us. You can email me, mark at markgraben.com or Jamie is at Jamie at jflinch.com. I'm probably not going to change my website to mgrab.com. Probably not. <laughs> that doesn't quite work the same. I mean, flinchball, you've got to do something with flinchball. So hence the J flinch. All right. Fair enough. Hey, uh, quick, quick trivia. You know, um, Mark Graben is a, a pretty unique name. The other Mark Graben that I'm aware of is a teacher in the Los Angeles area. So now okay. be careful. There's, there's, I don't know if there's any relation. I don't think there is, but there are two Mark Gravens in LA now. Now your reservations will be uh, confused. Um, the only James Flinchball I'm aware of is my father. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's, although we do get confused because, uh, uh, though I think he's thinner than I am, um, you know, there's an awful lot that looks the same. All right. Well, Jamie, hey, this has been fun as always. Thank you. Cheers. For the listeners. Cheers. Cheers.